Hey, welcome back to E-Crime Bites. Act four, Manzi's response to the CEO, Jonathan Manzi, sim swaps his competitor. All right, so where we left you in the last act was Jonathan Manzi hacked back, and I'm using my air quotes again, a competitor, Troy Pepper and Weppa, in order to, in his words, to get his data back, I guess, that they stole from him when Troy Pepper left Inc., which was the company he was the CEO of. And if you haven't watched the prior acts, you really need to because this is there's so much detail that that little recap that I just gave you, it's not going to give you the whole thing. So he went to court. He pled guilty. He thought his minimum was six months. The judge came back and said, nope, I'm going to give you 18 months. So what does Manzi do? He writes an article. And in this last concluding act, we're going to talk about what Manzi wrote or what his response was to the sentencing. Okay. I'm going to start this off. If you go back to act one and I said, Hey, remember the whole Oppenheimer moment where we had to go black and white for a moment to give you the backstory. Well, I read to you an article and I said, we're going to pause here and we're going to read the rest of the article later. This article, this is what I read to you. I started, this is the beginning of it. I, I already read to you the beginning of it. So all that stuff he said up front where he, um, he attended Stanford and he dropped out to start Inc. Um, he, all that stuff is true still. So I'm going to continue on with what is new. And he says, I also co-founded a blockchain based cybersecurity startup with the mission of securing IOT devices and critical infrastructure from bad actors. I'll pause. IOT stands for internet of things. You can think of your refrigerator, your stove, anything that's not really a full computer, but still on the internet, a thing. Your TV, that would be a thing. So he's saying he's working on a startup based upon blockchain-based cybersecurity for internet of things devices. Okay, so I'm gonna jump back into his article. Around this time, an employee left our company to join our only competitor in the higher ed market, meaning higher education. He had previously worked for them. And then I had to pause for a second. I was like, but dude, you knew that you, you hired him, but all right. Sorry, I do these little tangents on you as I'm thinking. Going back into Manzi's uh, article here, he says, on the way out, an internal investigation determined he had taken important files and IP, which stands for intellectual property, and was disparaging us in the marketplace. In a state of fear, I, air quotes, hacked back to assess what was taken and to mitigate the loss. I also developed a plan to counteract the disparagement. Due diligence on the competitor showed that there might be areas for concern about their corporate history, which the customers likely did not know about. In an anonymous letter to some of the competitor's customers and prospects, I brought these to their attention. Manzi continues, after nearly three and a half years of litigation, on December 14th, I entered into a misdemeanor plea deal. The government argued that the anonymous emails I sent to the competitor's prospects led to a loss of business. Fairly accurate, I would say. According to the competitor, and I think it was competitors, but okay, the prospects had allegedly, quote, verbally committed, close quote, prior to when the emails were sent, and based on a loss analysis, a shortfall was in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. 
Indeed, we know this because the court deems it to be about $600,000. In a desire to own up to my actions, reach a misdemeanor settlement before trial and move forward, I agreed to pay the amount. Now, he does have a footnote here, Jones. I don't remember what the footnote reference is. We'll come back to that. The court scheduled a hearing to determine my fate. On April 20th, I was sentenced to 18 months in federal prison. The judge referenced the, quote, hackback, close quote, circumstances and said he wanted to provide a deterrent to acting the way I did. Yeah, and most of his uh, references are just to court documents and things like that. So he goes on to say, I didn't expect the outcome. One of my attorneys, Kellen Dwyer, who is co-chair of Alston and Bird's National Security and Digital Crimes team, and who had previously worked as Deputy Assistant Attorney General in the National Security Division, said he was not aware of anyone being charged with violating the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act where the motivation appears to have been purely defensive. A former attorney to Inc., who was a former U.S. attorney, mentioned that he believed there would be a 1% chance the hack would result in prosecution after we reached a civil settlement in the matter with the competitor. Many of my friends, family, and colleagues thought the sentence was indicative of a more systemic issue in the way justice currently administered in my country. My friends living in other countries mentioned that the matter would have would not have been treated criminally there. At the time, I viewed what I did through the lens of Old Testament and eye for an eye justice. Like many in the cyber community, I believe hackbacks were ethical and the only recourse that could be deployed in a timely enough fashion to protect essential trade secrets and IP. I got to pause there. Okay. Listen, I don't get into my background a whole hell of a lot on this podcast because Seth and I do this as a hobby. All right. In this case, our backgrounds really fucking matter in this, in this case. Okay. I have been an expert witness in federal court in computer forensics, computer security, is my life okay so my doctorate is in cyber operations that's another word for computer security okay i work in cyber security this motherfucker cannot talk on behalf of cyber security industry most of the people that i know do not believe this they do not believe you can hack back into somebody's computer if if they took something from you most people i know would talk to some attorney or law enforcement individual first before going, I'm going to buy a phone. I'm going to pretend to be my victim. I'm going to get my victim's phone number switched to it. Then I'm going to go switch all his credentials. Then I'm going to steal his shit all in as retribution for something that may or may not be true. Okay. I don't rant no, I, often on this po- I don't rant often on this podcast, but he was just very sweeping saying that this is accepted in the cybersecurity community and I'm going to speak on behalf of the cybersecurity community and say we probably have a portion of people that believe the exact same thing that Jonathan Manzi believes that this is correct and we have another big portion of people that believe that this is not correct and I'm telling you that a lot of people that I've met believe that this is not correct. And go, go ahead with what you're going to say. Yeah, a couple of things on this. So on the first paragraph, first of all, I would be very, very cautious of any person who is looking to do something that doesn't smell right or is patently illegal or unethical based upon, well, back in the Old Testament or <laughs> through the lens of the Old Testament. The Old Testament says a lot of crazy shit, uh, which doesn't really apply today or shouldn't. 
So that's sketchy. Uh, eye for an eye justice, obviously that's not legal. He even admits that. Um, but you know, the other side of this is, and this ties to more in my world, and I, I have a background that's not nearly as technical as Jones, but I'm in the same space, but I, I also am an attorney. And I can tell you that legally, he would probably have enriched himself further by suing WEPA, all right, if he could have established a couple things. One, as a cybersecurity expert, this dude absolutely should have been able to access very simple logs that indicated there might've been a theft of intellectual property from Inc by Mr. Pepper to WEPA if it in fact happened. It would be very easy to look at the logs of a of access of a file or the exfiltration, which is the unauthorized transfer of a file or the email as such, if, he, if an email was sent out when Mr. Pepper was working at Inc. That should have been very, very easily apparent. Or, or the other side of this is it is a rock stone based bit of law that states that your intellectual property is only worth proportional to how much effort has been taken to secure it. So you can't say that your IP is a billion dollars if you have 10 cents security on it. So if you really did have any kind of security controls on it and Mr. Pepper was such a bad actor and was able to steal it, he could have provided evidence of that, gone to law enforcement and civilly sued, as well as criminally, WEPA for millions of dollars. You know, especially if related to a new business idea tied to this mini kiosk. So instead, he actually cut himself off at the feet, lost a lot of money by trying to go and hack back. So A, I don't think the dude is nearly as smart as he thinks he is, and B, I think he's also clearly misrepresenting what in fact the right thing to do here would have been, either either from an ethical perspective or from a, from a financial one. Moreover, I have to take a harder look at the 2017 uh, updates to the Cybersecurity Act, but I have a hard time believing that it actively allows ethical hackbacks. Um, I, I just don't believe that. I'll have to take a look at it though, so uh, more to come on that. Jones and I will probably opine on that in a later episode. So I'll finish out um, just this little portion here and then I'll switch over to Seth here. This is where he starts talking about the law and um, feel free to pause anytime here, Seth, because this is more your, your background than mine, which he goes on to say, the law is catching up with this point of view, which is the eye for the eye. If you remember the last thing we were talking about was the eye for the eye. So the next thing he says is the law is catching up with this point of view. The Active Cyber Dis Defense Certainty Act, a bipartisan bill proposed to Congress in 2017 and 2019, would provide an exception to the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, federal hacking law enacted before the internet, to allow hackbacks as a form of cyber self-defense. Recently, the Biden administration unveiled a new policy that will empower U.S. agencies to retaliate against hackers with counterattacks. Also, the Department of Justice, in a joint initiative with the Commerce Department, has launched a hackback squad to stop tech theft. And before I turn it over to you, Seth, I have to stop. And my thought on this is, this is wonderful, but you've named a bunch of places that are defending attacks against foreign nations, spies, terrorists, not your printing kiosk competitor where you could just easily change permissions on your information and secure it. So it's quite a bit different scenario to say what I'm doing, hacking back with Troy Pepper and WEPA is the exact same thing as the U S hacking back to bin Laden is 
that's apples and oranges in my opinion it's it's a false equivalency at best and it's megalomaniacal at worst for sure i think that you've kind of hit it already so manzi continues that quote in conversations about what happened there invariably comes a moment when it is time for me to provide my take so i'm like all right you know cue of the meme of eating popcorn here I respect the judge's sentence. I understand the benefits of deterrence. More significant to me than policy considerations, though, is that I don't hold the worldview I did at the time when I hacked back. So he's basically saying, don't judge me for what I did. Judge me for what I'm saying now. I've learned that ethics and law don't always meet in the middle. And sometimes in emerging areas like technology, the might, sorry, might end up miles apart. I've also experienced the merits of different ethical models. I'm not sure what experience he has on different ethical models. That's interesting. He must have read some kind of St. Thomas Aquinas or some shit. Um, consequential ethics, where ends justify the means, gives us tempting logic like effective altruism and hackbacks. Again, I think it's just an odd thing that he's automatically assuming that a hackback is effective altruism. I think it's not. Um, but at the end of the day, although they may be born from good intent, they deprive us, he's talking about those hackback ethics, of the miracles and beauty which come from an independently pure motive, one which doesn't need to be justified. It's almost like he found some kind of God. Now, I find it interesting that um, he never mentions the homeless lady. I'm not sure unless we're missing oh, part of he, the. Uh... He does, Seth. I actually I cut out a whole bunch of shit out, in here okay. because there's, there's a whole like spiritual thing that he goes down. And I'm like, this is going to be the whole podcast if we read this whole thing. And. Apologies. I'm not it's not that I'm hiding it from our from our viewers by the way. I'm not hiding this or anything. This if you haven't checked out the sources on the end of every episode like every act and everything where we post this, I have the sources. And if you go click in there, every one of these are linked and this article is one of the sources. You can read this thing in the entirety. It's it's public on yeah, yeah. on LinkedIn. So if if you're interested in that part of it, go for it. It didn't really relate in my opinion, to what he did. So I pulled out just the chunks he did. And I did include the references in case we wanted to talk about any of these references at the end as well. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, in terms of one of the, one of those references was number five, just talking about how the $600,000 restitution was specifically based upon, it looks like lost income or, or you know, uh, profit versus, you know, the hackback as a punitive situation. I mean, I'm assuming that's what happened essentially here is that he, you know, took a plea so that he wouldn't have to, I guess, um, you know, get charged with a heavier duty crime. But um, yeah, I would definitely recommend everybody take a read if you have 20 minutes to kill on Mr. Manzi's soliloquy here. But apparently, you know, if he cut the uh, the BS, so he's claiming, yeah, it may or may not have been wrong, but now that I have a much better set of ethics that I follow, I understand what happened and, you know, all is right with the world. Uh, and maybe that's fine if he's still a millionaire and ultimately, you know, getting a six to 18 month vacation isn't the worst thing for him. But like I said, um, it's a little scary. I think people in this country hold CEOs, whether self-made younger guys like this guy or, you know, an older generation of uh, CEOs to the standard that they can do no wrong. It may have gotten President Trump elected, but at the same time, um, you know, they're human and they certainly can do some extremely ethically questionable stuff as noted here. And uh, I think people should be judged on the actions of what they do and not what their titles are. And with that, we're at the end of the case. So Manzi made his statement and that is it. I imagine at some point he's going to be going in for his um, 18 months. So some concluding thoughts. My very first one is I want you to leave here as a listener 
if you hear the term hacking back, that's still illegal. Okay. We read to you varying viewpoints in this podcast where Manzi says, I don't really think it's illegal, but it's still illegal. He's spending 18 months in prison or going to spend 18 months in prison because of this. It is illegal. Yeah, I would even argue that if they didn't get him back on, you know, specific elements of the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, there were probably five other ways that could have packaged his actions, you know, impersonating somebody else or defrauding. You know, there would have been several other avenues they could have gone down. I think that might have been the most direct route, though. Um, the other thing, and I mentioned this earlier, there are remedies for someone who steals your intellectual property, right? A, he should have had every opportunity to have the logs of what had occurred and presented his case both at a civil and a criminal situation. And he probably would have enriched himself further rather than where he ended up. So Manzi didn't explore any of that before SIM swapping. And as you know, we listed a couple, he could have put forth a cease and desist. He could have requested an injunction or a temporary restraining order. And like he could have filed a civil lawsuit for theft of IP and unjust enrichment and you know breach of contract if there was a contract with mr uh, pepper as an employee there was a lot he could have done here none of that was attempted so moving on manzi paid out two-thirds of the restitution already as directed by a separate lawsuit so i don't think that's even the full story here clearly there was other pieces of this case i'm pretty sure weapon went after him pretty hard uh, on a civil scenario as well so we know that uh, indirectly because he had paid back some money on this. Now, what's interesting is it could have been the inverse. Yeah, it could have been. All right. I have one more concluding thought on this, which is this is not a one-off. So I told you a little bit about my background earlier in this episode. I've investigated a lot of cases. It is very common for an employee to leave and either intentionally or accidentally take files with them thinking that they're they own them when they're leaving an employer either because they resigned or because they're fired. So this happens so much. So I'm sorry to interrupt you, Jones. I want to make this clear. This happens shockingly often. And it's, you know, not quite as simple as a, uh, this is wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. A lot of times there are confusing elements as to what is in fact truly owned, but most companies will adopt the position that, if something resides on their corporate network, unless it was completely brought in uh, in a way that was illegal or unethical, it is owned by that corporate network. So if you take a document that you started, right? Let's say you had a client list and then you add 20 names to that client list, the whole client list is owned by the corporate entity that it was residing on. And you can argue that that's not fair and not true. And there's a whole bunch of case law that talks about this, but this is an ongoing issue that happens all the time. As I said, statistically speaking, people who leave companies tend to take things with them. Yeah. All right. So was he right to hack back? This is the question I want to leave our readers with, and I'll tell you my viewpoint on it. And I'm curious what yours is, Seth. I think I probably can predict yours, Seth, but it's probably going to be similar to mine, which is I do not think he was right to hack back. Um, I thought this was more of a lame excuse after he got caught. Um, it, I don't think he thought he was hacking back when he was doing it. I think he was just, I think it was probably a very quick adrenaline based decision when he found out that he, Troy Pepper left and went to a competitor and probably things got out of hand very quickly. 
<laughs> once he you know got the phone and got the everything switched over where you know he just had keys to the kingdom at that point um and then after he got caught he was probably like i need an explanation of why i did this and hacking back was the most altruistic sounding reason for what he did in my opinion what do you think seth I mean, I think to, I look at this as I, I kind of had two different levels, right? Directly at the direct level, as I said earlier, he had significantly better options at his disposal, especially if he claims he's part of the cyber community. He should have been able to log the activity that um, Pepper apparently took, and he could have sued criminally and civilly and probably would have gotten a better deal financially than what he ended up paying out. Uh, and he would have been looked at on as a hero, and he, of course, would have been done the right thing and the legal thing. At a, at a more deep level, you know, whether you're an Old Testament type person and you believe, you know, then you should also believe and turn the other cheek. Uh, I guess that's New Testament. I don't know. I'm Jewish. Um, but, you know, I look at it very simply. Like if somebody punches me at a bar, all right, and it's not something where I feel like I have to physically defend myself, but it's a one-time thing, I can punch the dude back and then we're both going to probably get arrested and then we're both going to have legal problems. Or I could make sure that it's documented, go to the doctor, assess the damage, all right, you know, check my ego at the door and then sue that dude and then sue the bar where it happened. And, you know, really, you know, make sure that it's done through the appropriate lens of, of, our, of our civil discourse and civil society and still get, you know, uh, I think what I deserve in that scenario, right? And I know you may sound like, oh, sure, the lawyer, the Jewish guy is going to make money out of it. I'm just saying... You could put yourself into an equally worse or shitty situation by kind of dropping down into that level of wrongdoing, or you can do the right thing and be a, a big boy about it and handle things in an adult fashion that ultimately will work out better for you anyway. So I think it's really just, and I think a lot of people in society, including some of our elected officials, love to get down and dirty and act like they're tough. But ultimately, I think that is not only likely illegal and unethical, but it's really not the smart play either. The smart play, it's kind of like chess versus checkers, right? I mean, if you really want to be trying to look, think three moves ahead of, well, if I do this, what are the ramifications of this happening? But if I do that, this actually three steps down the road puts me in a much better scenario. And I know that's hard to do when you're in the thick of it. And obviously this guy felt personally wronged and was very angry. And maybe there was fear that he was going to lose his business. But, you know, as a CEO millionaire, he should have known better. Yeah. I feel the same way. And hey, I want to go on record that the Jewish guy made the first Jewish joke. So there we go. We, I, I, I will say I do have a pretty pro-Jewish joke coming up in one of my episodes. If you know, you got to be careful, dude. You got to be very careful. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So how do you reach us? You go to our website. That's the number one spot. If you've already listened to us on your favorite podcasting app or YouTube or wherever you watch us, our website is eCrimeBytes. It's E-C-R-I-M-E-B-Y as in yellow milk. T-E-S.com. And you're going, why does he say why in yellow milk? Because we had an episode all about, well, it wasn't all about, but there was an important part about kids being forced to drink milk that was thawed that was frozen and because it was frozen it changes the consistency and the color and it changes to yellow yeah but anyways back to our website if you go across the top um, if you're on your desktop computer you're going to be able to see all the links 
all our social links. Um, YouTube's up there if you want to go see the videos. If you're on your phone, there's like this little hamburger thing. There's like a three liner up in the upper right hand corner. If you click on that, that same top bar basically will drop down on your phone and you can see all those links and you can go to Instagram if you like that, Facebook or YouTube, you name it. There's a couple important things on there that we have a newsletter. Um, if you sign up for that, I will send you notifications. There's a glossary on there that will help ease the pain of some of these terms that we're throwing around that we do try to keep up to date. Now, the last thing, if you're like, I love this podcast or I love this topic that we talked about, that's awesome. To pay us back involves no money on your part. We will probably never ask you for money. All we want, probably, if you like it, <laughs> probably. All we want, if you have the time, please just uh, five star us if you're on Apple Podcast. That's very important because half of our audio listeners are on Apple Podcasts, and that lets other Apple Podcasters find out about us. You know, write a review. If you like certain topics, tell us. If you know of cases that you would think are interesting, tell us. If you are on whatever app you're watching or listening to us on, make sure you subscribe so that way you're getting notified when we come out with new acts and new episodes. And we try to do a new episode every week. And then depending how long that episode is, we chop it up into about two to five acts. No more than five because there's five days but usually two or more X and that's how we're doing season two. I want to thank you for coming and listening to the CEO, Jonathan Manzi, who's SimSwaps is competitor. And I had a blast on this episode. I'm going to give you a real quick, real, real quick tour of our next episode. And that is the boasting fraudster J. Nicholas Bryant. And you're going to see that this individual, I was almost going to call him gentleman, but I, after what I read, I don't think I could put him in the gentleman category. This individual was able to commit fraud in the millions of dollars range in a very short amount of time. We're talking like days and he's flying to Miami and overseas and he's on yachts and he's shooting rare animals for tens of thousands of dollars. It's just an amazing, an amazing case, just like hopefully every other case we've brought to you. And I hope you come back for it and see on that one. Did you have anything else for this case, Seth, before I take us Only out? nothing other than I had fun with this one. I think the new multi-act is a little bit more digestible for our audience. I hope that we get some feedback on that. And at some point, yep. Jones, you're gonna have to reenact what young Mr. Jones and his siblings had to endure when they were told to just drink that said yellow milk. And you were like, I don't want to drink yellow milk. I have to imagine <laughs> that it. there's comedy, there's high comedy, and then there's that. So I would love to hear that at some point. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, I just saw my brother recently for our summer trip. And uh, we usually compare things to yellow milk. Like if we look at something and it's like, is it, that's gross. Well, yeah, but is it yellow milk gross? Eh. <laughs> All right. With that, I hope to see you back to talk about J. Nicholas Bryant in the next episode. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, all. <laughs>